Good morning, everyone. I'm glad I have a, a bit of time here because look at how much stuff I have to read through this morning. You're in for it, right? Not really. We've been talking, um, first of all, let me say that at the end, uh, Brother Tim mentioned that if you're visiting, we're glad you're here. And there is a little card. I, I actually cheated and used one to write myself a note. Looks like this in the uh, chair. You can fill that out, hand it to anybody here who looks like they belong here. You might have to think about that. And uh, on the way out, there's a little box. We just want to be available to help you understand who we are, why we're here, what it means to know Christ, which is the reason the church has been left in the world, right? Everybody get that? Kind of? Maybe? Right? I, I love to tell, tell the, 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 the perspective that really, if we weren't here, left as a witness, boy, that sounds like a sermon title, um, when we accepted Christ, we should just die and go be with Jesus, right? But he does leave us in the world. I uh, was reminded by an elder this morning that I forgot to mention a couple of things, and probably there would be more appropriate times. So if you are a visitor... I don't want you to check out completely, but this is not on you in any way. Uh, the saints that belong to local assemblies ought to support the work that the assembly does. And so we were encouraging us a while back at the turn of the year to consider, uh, am, I a, am I a giver? Am I a tither? Am I growing in that? Uh, by the way, we want to teach some discipleship this coming year. We've got a couple of staff working on a discipleship class and part of discipleship is getting under your belt all the disciplines of following Jesus. You become a worshiper. That's a priority to you. Uh, Pastor Dennis talked about that one time, and it was very well said. Um, I learned to be in the Word because disciples who follow Jesus are in the Word. I learn how to pray, right? I learn how to serve, and I learn how to give. And uh, it became obvious that some took it to heart, and we saw some growth in that. This is not all about money. I'm just saying I'm so grateful for that. And uh, keep up the good work and keep pressing in to grow. One area that we do like to serve our community is in benevolence. And uh, so usually it's when we have communion. We mentioned something like that, but I missed it. This is what happens when you hire older pastors, and they forget stuff. And so I'm mentioning it today. We want to re-fill it up, fill up the benevolence fund so we can serve those who are in need among us. Amen? Okay, simple, right? Just needed to cover that. And uh, as we look into the Word today, I'm feeling um, somewhat daunted. Can I put it that way? We uh, looked into the new, new year. We wanted to talk about a 2020 vision, and we're still milking that for all it's worth for one more week, and uh, maybe another week. Are you, are you, uh, you up? He's up. Don't leave after service. Do you have to run? Good. You and me, we have to talk. We have to talk. All right. So we're going to be talking. We're going to be hearing from one of our elders and uh, talking about a 2020 vision, and last week we started by introducing the subject and saying there are two things that we want to prioritize. Pastor Tim just reinforced it. An outward view, looking outward, and prayer. And what I'm hoping is that today we'll marry those two things together for you in your mind. My goal today is to 
encourage us in our faith as believers together, and perhaps the Spirit will put a finger on some of you who are destined, believe it or not, to become prayer warriors. I don't want that job assignment, because it's a hard one if you mean it. So I'm going to ask that we join together in prayer because I feel the need for help. How about you? Anybody here ever feel like you need help? Oh, now I got an amen out of that one. We all do, right? Let's pray. We cast ourselves on your mercy today, God. We're in a a world of chaos. And it seems that every day, if we read the paper, but even if you don't, if you hear it on the radio or in the news or on your phone, wherever it happens to be, it seems like chaos continues to break out. And Lord, as we reminded ourselves at the season of Christmas that uh, our Savior, Jesus, is the Prince, the Chief, the Administrator of Peace. One day soon, and it sure looks like it might be coming soon, He's going to establish His reign. He'll rule the nations with a rod of iron. He's going to straighten out all this arrogance all this opposition, all this big talk and, and saber-rattling that's going on in the world. And he will subdue the planet and bring order and peace. And finally, his shalom will be our portion. But until then, God, we look for areas where that shalom, where that peace can enter into our hearts And Lord, I know there are brothers and sisters in this room and not in this room that we're connected with that need your shalom today, your peace to settle their spirits, to rest, to be still and know that you are God, to come to experience that peace that surpasses comprehension. There's no logic to it. It's spiritual. It's invasive. It's miraculous. It's other it's supernatural we're not just setting up shop here on a corner or along 211 to have a little building where we sell religion lord we need to have an interaction with the living god who interferes in our spirits and in our minds sometimes in our bodies we need your healing and so god we commend ourselves to you we we rest in you we we cast ourselves before you like we were singing. We lay ourselves down before you and ask for your mercy and your grace on our behalf. We need help. And I know my brothers and sisters this morning, there's probably 5,000 things going through some of our minds. Would you help us to hear from you and know that you're the good God who is sovereign and knows what he's doing. And he will help us And we want to be like those saints we talked about. I think it was our brother Mike who put the verse on the screen last week or read it to us. All our eyes are on you, Lord. We look out in this chaotic world and we say, we are helpless against this multitude. But our eyes are on you. And you rescued you people then. You can rescue us again. We cast ourselves before you, asking for your help. We thank you for the wonderful salvation that is our gift that too often we take for granted. The salvation that's ours through the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior Jesus. It's in his name that we pray today and all of God's people said, amen and amen. So, 
hey, something happened here. Um, wasn't there supposed to be the Lord's Prayer? You're not even on the team. Oh, it's on you. Uh, see, I was going to fire you, but I can't. I don't pay you. Oh, well, you know what? It's all wrong. Let's all go home. Let's go. Everybody, uh, let's stand together. Can we put that on the screen? And let's pray what is referred to as the Lord's Prayer, erroneously, but it is. Uh, do we have it? All right. Everybody sit down. <laughs> we, got, we got it. Oh. Do, do, do you? Come on. You actually know this by heart? I am really glad that you are reinforcing my sermon. You really are. If you don't know it, page 962 in the Bible that's in front of you, page 962. You don't need it. Okay. You ready? Jesus said to pray then in this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And all of God's people said, very good. You may be seated. I think most of you passed. My title this morning is A Witness, and I know everybody's hoping that I will get out of the 80s on movies, and so I'm not talking about a Harrison Ford movie at all called Witness, although there is a good scene in there that relates to what I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about a witness as in God has not left himself without witnesses. The word witness is from where we get martyr. The Greek word is martur, mar marturia. Marturos is plural, witnesses. That's where the word martyr came from. Why is that word attached? Because it's a person who is an eyewitness or has been changed by something and is giving testimony and is unwilling to back down even if he's threatened with death. So the early disciples, you know, many of our forebears paid for the gospel with their lives, right? Uh, paid for witnessing to the gospel. They were changed by Jesus. They wouldn't back down. And so those people who told faithful accounts paid many times with their lives. There is a verse that um, I had to learn when I was learning theology relating to God's witness in the world. Jesus and the Father in heaven have arranged that through the history of the world... There's been a witness, you know. He creates the world. He sends um, Abraham out to bring the people, uh, to, to be the forerunner of the Messiah to come, the people of God. He sends Moses to rescue his children out of Egypt. Uh, unmistakable uh, transformation in history. Jesus comes on the scene as the Messiah. He does miracles. He leaves his indelible mark. His death, burial, and resurrection changes the course of history. 
I don't know why we ignore those things today, like they didn't happen, but they did. We still have the evidence of it. The New Testament is written, and then we find uh, in, in the world and in history, God has witnessed to his existence, witnessed to the human race, both in special revelation, by the way, this book would be a form of special revelation, that which is specifically given to us by God. But there's also a thing called general revelation. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? In other words, the witness of God in the world, in his created order. The scripture tells us the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. We're looking at it. Paul says in the beginning of Romans that mankind is without excuse because there's got to be some explanation. Our logic moves us that way. Here's a description out of Acts chapter 14, verse 16. In the generations gone by, he allowed, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. Let's back that up a little bit. Because, see, people think humans figured out all these advanced, wonderful ways to worship God and they improved their ideas, eventually came up with a monotheistic view. Now we're kind of going backward to a universal, the universe is God and there's no person involved. But the point is, that's not how it happened. It started with men knowing Yahweh and them departing from truth like we do, left to ourselves. And so there's been all these bunny trails away from the living God. And he permitted that, but now it says he did not leave himself without a witness. Now he's calling all men to repent in Jesus. If you read the rest of the book of Acts, you see that message coming out. He did not leave himself without witness and that he did good and gave you rains from heaven, fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. His faithfulness, anybody ever sing Great is Thy Faithfulness? Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, right? All witness to God's goodness. And Paul, when he's preaching the gospel in the book of Acts in chapter 14, talks about that and says, let me tell you who he really is. Let me tell you who this God of heaven is. Let me show you the New Jerusalem version of that last phrase. He did not leave you without evidence of himself. Evidence of himself. The word witness has to do sometimes, one of the definitions in the Greek, conclusive evidence. Conclusive evidence. In other words, there's a reason. A witness. God has not left himself without conclusive evidence in the history of the world. What I want to do today is give you more witness. You know, let's face it. The fact that we have fruitful seasons every year does not convert everybody. Have you noticed that? People don't automatically say, oh, well, then you're right. I think I'll become a Christian. But there are some things in the history of the world, like the resurrection of Jesus, which is unmistakably marked in history. People have tried to deny it. We have a God whose son, Jesus, died on our behalf, who does not have a grave where we can go to worship today. It's empty. And that had a transformational effect on our history. But I want to give you more continuous witness in order to encourage you. And what we've talked about for 2020 at Harmony is an emphasis on two dimensions. Outreach and what else? Yeah, you got it. Prayer. And I, I know some of us have already been kicking into gear on this, uh, running, running ahead in a good way. 
wanting to press in in the area of prayer. And I want to encourage us today that these two things definitely go together. So I want to start with those basic two things. I'm going to encourage you to keep your eyes peeled for coaching in this regard as we press in in prayer. Anybody remember when these were around? Some shirts and they we're going to do something like that. I think we have to change the domain, don't we? So we have to change it to O-N-E. But we'll do that again just by way of reminder. I'm not into gimmicks. I'm into doing it. You know, let's try to do it and learn to pray and to pray for one, and maybe God will give you two, or maybe it'll go beyond that. We need to look outward, and we need to go to the one who makes the difference. So what I'd like you to do is, if you haven't already opened your Bible, since you have it memorized, you might not have to go there, but if you open your Bible to uh, page 962, that's Matthew chapter 6, you will find there, in verses 9 through 13, the Lord's Prayer. But I've got something very profound to tell you. Yes, that in front of verse 9, there's verse 8 and verse 7. And Yes, yes way. And uh, you need to see what's there <laughs> because it's relevant, right? So if you're a note taker, I've given you a, a place for fill-ins here. We're talking about God's biblical witness that's what we just read about, his uh, providing in the world and declaring that this is evidence of my goodness, his general revelation, his special revelation are all his witness. But down through history, we want to take us further to where we live. I've got first his biblical witness, second, two kinds of unbelief. Doesn't that sound like fun? Since we're, well, since we, you know, I've said it before, we struggle sometimes with unbelief, Right? No, 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 that's not true. We struggle a lot with unbelief. Let's put it that way. Two kinds of unbelief. I want to look after that at a devotional commentary on this famous prayer in light of what we're seeing in this passage. And then we want to talk about the place of power. And so I'm going to give you that fill-in as we go, okay? So here we go. Two kinds of unbelief. When Jesus is encouraging his disciples about praying, he leads his disciples to the subject. They, they were constantly asking him questions. And one of the ones I love is when they go to him and ask him to teach us to pray. I never hear Jesus rebuke them. You know, when they say to him, increase our faith, Jesus says, oh, if you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, you know, it's like, ooh, help me figure this out. But when they say, teach us to pray, he coaches them. And he speaks into their life. And so here's what you find. The first one, two kinds of unbelief. The first kind of unbelief is self-righteousness. When you pray, here's what it says in verses 5 through 6. When you pray, you're not to be as the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have what? They have their reward in full. What is their reward? Everybody noticed. Everybody figured out how fabulous they were. I, th I think we're more like, now, now this does go to the movie, I can't show you the clip, but in Witness, this hardened detective, homicide detective, is taking his witness, who is a little Amish boy and mom, 
to a hot dog stand where they're eating hot dogs. And of course, he's, he's a city cop. He's, he's tough. He grabs that hot dog and shoves it in his mouth. He starts chewing away and he looks and they're both like this. And all of a sudden, he's like real sheepish. I'm looking around. What do I do? We feel more like that, don't we? But sometimes people do want everyone to notice how spiritual they are. I'm sure no one in the room has encountered anybody like that or would want to be. But here's what else he says. They have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room. When you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will repay you. Usually we're not too much on grandstanding, but I've seen it. Used to be that if you could pray in King James language, you were really spiritual. Lord, we bless thee for thy many doubts and asses and asses. But I have encountered, and I'll never forget one time when I had to release a staff person in my church. That means I had to fire them for undermining the ministry. Undermining the ministry that their first defense was. You don't know how I pray. Well, you're right, I don't. But I know the results you're not getting if you are praying. So I sometimes encounter that with people who are like very put out that God isn't answering their prayer because they're sure they're spiritual. Something to guard our hearts about. Don't look for the people to approve and sound and defend myself and make sure I sound spiritual. What really matters is that I'm submitting myself to the living God who watches in secret and knows where my heart really is. That's what matters. Where's my heart? Do I really desire his pleasure? Self-righteousness makes me sound good, makes me sound spiritual, makes me sound superior. Jesus says that's worthless. The other thing is also a problem. Not just self-righteousness, the second one is works righteousness. Let me read to you what it says. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is one, one passage that I think is incredibly ironic in the light of this morning. We all got up and recited from memory what? And I'm going to have a little devotional time with us this morning about what that means. And I have a feeling we may discover, like I discover about myself, that some of what I'm praying is just meaningless repetition. I remember being in Asia, and they have things called prayer wheels. You put the prayer on paper in a little wheel, and you spin it around. That makes the prayer. And it's like, if I keep this going, I'm going to get to answer prayer. You get the idea. It's untight. You get what I'm saying? So we think, so say five Hail Marys. Say this many, you know, our fathers, as if numbers, if I just do it enough. Isn't that works righteous? Am I hoping that something's going to work here? That's not how it is. And Jesus is saying, you don't need to keep harping. Just do business with me. Connect with me. Make sure what you're doing. You know, we can do the same thing with um, our devotional life, right? 
Anybody ever read devotions and then walk away? I forgot what I even read this morning, right? Because that's what we... It's, it's, and by the way, you're not condemned for that. Aren't you glad? <laughs> I'm not condemned either because it happens to me. But Jesus is encouraging us not to fall into that kind of a trap. So there's a works righteousness approach to prayer that kind of believes in magic. If I light enough candles, if and I pray this enough times. Or I, and how many times people have asked me, is it okay to pray like this? You know, in other words, I, I prayed, Holy Spirit, oh, are you allowed to say that? You know, because we were trained. We pray to the Father in Jesus' name. Therefore, to pray any other way is sin. Now, now people are saying, does he mean that? No, that's the point. If I speak to Jesus or I speak to the Holy Spirit, who are they? God. And that's who you want to talk to, amen? God. All right. So, two disclaimers, two kinds of unbelief. Self-righteousness isn't going to get you very far. Works righteousness, doing it yourself, isn't going to get you very far. So, that's just to get into what we want to look at. When Jesus says, pray this way, isn't it ironic that when he says, pray in this way, we made that a machine. So, we recite that prayer without being engaged. And that's what we want to get away from. If we're going to pray it, let's pray it with our soul engaged. I mentioned that this is the Lord's Prayer. We all call it that. It's really the disciples' prayer. Jesus instructed his disciples, pray in this fashion. But his point was not to fall into the irony of vain, meaningless repetition, which we've done to it, Rather, that this is a sample of the right spirit and how to approach the living God. Pray like this. Not these exact words necessarily, but pray like this. What it is is a primer. It's a catechism, right? That's what it is. It's a primer. It's a coaching session. This is how to pray. So pray then in this way. Now I have it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You guys have notes? First one, and who wants to guess what W is? You win, Shirley. You're the assistant pastor this week. Okay, worship. Next one. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. What's N? Needs, necessities, right? Necessity sounds cooler because it's longer. Anyway. You guys didn't have enough coffee this morning. Okay. And now the next page. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. What is that about? Grace. Thank you. Exactly. Man, I've got a good class here today. Grace. I need grace just like other people need grace. When I drive around Middletown, I find out there's a lot of people that need grace. And when I'm driving around with them, then I need grace. Everybody with me? Grace. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from, actually, literally in the Greek, from the evil one. So that last A there is authority. I need authority against the adversary. He's a real person. His agents are real persons. 
we live in a bubble of unbelief, not recognizing when the enemy is pounding the daylights out of us. Way too often. I'm debating if I should say something. Oh, see how troublesome you people are? Go ahead and do it. We don't care. You're the one that's going to get fired, not us. So, You said something in prayer sometime in the last few weeks. You talked about seeing some breakthroughs, which we have, some deliverances, which I haven't. Maybe one or two. I don't there are people in this room who need to be delivered. Just need to be delivered. The enemy's got a bondage area, got you by the throat, and you can't get free of that thing. You know what? You can because Jesus Christ is the living God. And he's still the deliverer of his people. Every time I pray with my wife through some drama, which we've done many times over our years together, the thing I have to thank God for is thank you, Jesus, that you are the deliverer of your people. Not me. He is. Deliver us from the evil one. There's a reason Jesus puts that in there. And then I'm going to opine for a minute. Anybody notice that for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever is in italics? Anybody know why? Yeah, it was in, plugged in later. Somebody's doing, been doing some Bible stuff. I even pulled out my Greek originals here to make sure I wasn't barking up the wrong tree. And all that is saying is probably that line, which may have come from Jesus, was added in later from the original text. Here's my opine, if I may, my opinion. What I want to share with you is that Christianity is rational and based on evidence. It's not superstition. And when I hear people talking about their views or their thing about the Bible or which version or whatever, we sound like superstitious believers in magic or something. Instead of basing our faith on the solid witness of Scripture, which has been supported by empirical evidence. Does everybody know what I mean by empirical? Facts. We're living in a culture that is discarding facts and, and we're just losing. Well, I've said it many times. Thinking, real thinking, is a lost art. Christianity's rational. Paul put his life online and said, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, let's all just go home and forget it. There's reasons. There's evidence. There are defendable witnesses who said, we saw this man back from the grave and we'll lay our lives down for it. And they did. And all the witness through history, the same thing of the workings of the Spirit, have given testimony, solid evidence that the living God is still at work. He hasn't gone on vacation like the deists used to believe. You know, a lot of our founding fathers, some were deists. Everybody know what that is? Oh, there's a supreme being, but, you know, he made the world, wound it up like a clock, put it on the shelf, and then he went on vacation. Well, I hate to tell you, he never went on vacation, okay? So there's the Lord's Prayer for His disciples, the model, if you will. Sorry to get off on that little thing, but, you know, we have a Christian school here. And uh, I want kids that come out of our Christian school, I think, Dennis, you would have that same desire. I want them to know why it's true and why we believe it and what it really says, not what some cult leader says or some... I'll, I'll refrain. 
so that we're not talking like ignorant people. The scripture's true. And there's defendability there. And there's documentation and solid, conclusive evidence for what we believe. And it's healthy. Those of you who have an inclination toward um, apologetics, God bless you. Keep it up. I think Clover told me that, right? He's leaning that way. Go for it, baby. Amen. Need more Z- Ravi Zacharias running around. Zacharias, however you say his name. Anyway. Let's look at a devotional commentary. When I started the book of Hebrews, it's one of the, one, one of the books that I know the least about. I've been through a lot of the Bible a lot of times, but I said, I better get myself a little commentary because they're helpful. People who are saturated in study and know the scripture, know the Greek, etc. This man is highly recommended, William Lane. He's got a big one like that. I couldn't afford it, so I got the little one I could afford. And when you get a devotion, a commentary, usually there's, there's two kinds. There's some that are primarily devotional. I think, uh, who's the guy you like? Wearsby. A lot of his is unpacking but devotional. Then there are scholastic types that's all technical. Some that are like, what am I reading here? You know, it's Greek and, and uh, it's German commentaries in there and all this other stuff. And you're like, what am I looking at? And if you want to have fun, I'll show you my Greek later. You can take a look. You know, it's like, what? But then you get some that are really good commentaries like this, gives you the unpacking of the meaning, and then they just can't resist a little paragraph after what they just unpacked and say, you know, you ought to take this part to heart, pal. Maybe you ought to think about this. And, uh, and they exhort you. So I'm going to do a little devotional commentary on our portion here. All right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You've got some fill-ins. W, I already told you, worship is the first one, right? Worship. I set the compass back where it needs to be. Your God... I'm your subject. You're holy. I know myself to know I'm not. Anybody with me? You're righteous. I'm a little skewed. You know that that person's really bad and ought to get it. God says, and how about you? See, I have to get the compass reset. So I start with worship. You're holy. You're glorious. You're incomprehensible. I'm, I'm a finite human being. If you need some help in that department, read some of um, Sir, uh, holy, Holiness. Who are the books we read early on? Remember Mike? Tozer, thank you. It helps reset the, um, the compass for you. Number two was necessities. Having food and covering, Paul said... We shall be content. Everybody got clothes on today? I didn't notice anybody that was stark naked this morning. I think everybody had clothes on. Now, maybe I missed something, but I don't think so. We have food and covering. You're you're mentioning earlier, uh, Tim, I haven't ever had to worry about whether we'd have food. I grew up where we did. My mother had to slip out because of my father's drunkenness and craziness and his lifestyle just to have a Christmas tree. She had to steal one off the lot Christmas Eve. I know, she's a terrible Christian, I know. 
So there are many people in that regard, and that's why we often, some of us, crack jokes and say, well, that's a first world problem, right? Had a little lack of hot water the other day, that's a first world problem. Really. Having food and covering, and I think covering includes a home, place to live, we shall be content. Now, my mother prays for really important necessities. Lord, I need a parking spot, and she gets it right in front of the place. It's like, what? But that's not a necessity. She's just spoiled. God's making up for all those hard tears that we had. You know? So, having food and covering. With these we shall be content. Not all your wants, friends. God promises your necessities. We have tons of wants. Our culture feeds that, right? Third, I need grace. G, I need it and others need it for me, uh, from me. They need it from me. I'm going to show you a verse that is Jesus' commentary right after that part of his training session. Right after it. A couple of verses later, verses 14 and 15 go like this. For if you forgive men their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Ow! What a mean God. But if you don't forgive them, then your father will not forgive your transgressions. Who does he think he is? I thought, yeah, I think he's God. That's probably the issue. Now, can you picture for a minute, remember what I talked about earlier, you can be doing empty recitation or you can be praying self-righteously, right? How many times have we prayed self-righteously? Fix that crud ball. You know what he did to me. You know what they're saying about me. Lord, I'm going to trust you, but make sure he dies. <clears throat> it's funny, but it's not, right? Or we want something. We just jack him up, make sure he gets it. Do you know that when David saw justice come down on his enemy, Saul, he was grieve, grieving. There's something about that. Over the years, I've had a few enemies. I didn't choose to have them. They wanted to be. And I've had to commit myself to the grace of God and let him deal. And you know what? It's amazing how much stuff goes around, comes around, right? And you start to see it. I have always checked my spirit. I don't want to gloat. Lord, that is sad. Sorry. Sure sounds... Somebody was just asking me about this. Right? There's some justice there, but I'm not going to gloat in it. Could have been me. Could have been me off track. You know the great commentator, Matthew Henry? Just came to my mind. I love one of his little commentaries. He got robbed. And after he was robbed, uh, he pondered on what had just happened. He said, well, first I want to thank God that they only took my wallet and not my life. Second, that even though they took my wallet, there was hardly anything in it. <laughs> Thirdly, I'm thankful that I was the one robbed and not the robber. There but for the grace of God go I. Last line, 
authority, spiritual authority, power against the adversary. I've already made a commentary on that. But both of those, the grace that I need and the authority that I need, those are cut off unless I learn to walk in that grace toward my fellow man. If I won't forgive, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. Now, that doesn't mean you're not forgiven, you won't make it into heaven. Don't anybody get confused. What, I'm say- what that is saying is that your relational connection with God is crippled. You're hindering the power of God and holding it back. So that brings me to the last point. The place of power. You have a fill in there. The place of power. And the word that has an A is the verse that I skipped. Did anybody remember which one I skipped from the Lord's Prayer? I skipped one. I did it on purpose. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's where we get in trouble. Thy kingdom come, here it is, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The big missing bullet is alignment. I have to be aligned with the mind of my father, right? Didn't Jesus say that? If you ask anything in mind, what does it mean in my name? It means you're in alignment with what I'm standing for. If we ask anything according to his will, if you two agree, two or three of you agree concerning anything about the kingdom, it's according to his mind, his kingdom come, his will be done, not your kingdom come, not your will be done, not all your wants be met. It's really hard to pray this prayer when my primary preoccupation in the universe is my personal kingdom which America has fed us with building our own kingdoms. It's all about us. Kingdom come, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said no man can serve two masters. He's talking about money there, but the principle's the same. You either hate one, love the other, or turn it the opposite way. You can't. What is the will of God? How do I get an alignment? How can I pray this prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Oh, you're God. I'm not. I know it. I get that. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Where? On earth. Wish I had a big piece of chalk because this is, this is how you revival pray. You draw a circle on the floor and say, Lord, let your will be done right there. But you got to get in it, baby. You got to stand in the circle. Let your will be done right here. Why is so many? Why is the church so crippled, especially in America? Because our kingdom is first, not his kingdom. I, I can't put it any other way. He's not Lord. I don't have my wallet. I can't pull out my credit card illustration, but that's all he is. I've got the I've got the card that gets me in the kingdom here. It gets me in heaven when I kick. That's not Christianity. No wonder we're dead. We're without power. But I'm encouraging us that something can, in fact, change. Let me start thinking in terms of what is your will, Lord? What do you want to do? Why didn't you take me home? Jesus put it this way in one verse. Let me show you this one out of John. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. Isn't that a great verse? Behold, I see the son, I get it, I believe, he died for my sins, I get eternal life, I'm going to get raised up on the last day. Anybody here want to say amen? Amen. 
That's great. But guess what? He wants everyone who beholds the Son and believes. There's others. I have other sheep that are not part of this sheepfold, right? Jesus said, I need to bring them also. There's others that we need to bring also. That's some of his mind. That's why I'm marrying those two things today, prayer and outreach, that we want to start praying for one. We want to start having our eyes looking outward. Who is the one that I might have connection with, that I might be able to share the good news, that I might invite into this environment of crazy Christians that hang out around here, and they, ba- they just might get infected and become Christians? Wouldn't that be cool? Oh, listen how cool. Wouldn't that be cool? Well, I'm going to answer for you. I think it would be awesome cool. I really do. Now, pray for one. Look for it. The task ahead. We'll try to coach and remind. Some of you have already jump-started. I, I love it when people come and say, I'm already working on this, you know. And it's okay to sin and have two or three on your list. It's okay. That kind of sin I can forgive all day, all right? You get it? But you know why I said pray for one? Because at least I can keep one thing on the front burner. Anybody like that? You know what I mean? People say, oh, you know, you're, I'm, we're working through stuff with the school board. Or we're working through stuff as, a, as a, a ministry team. It's like, we need to do these 18 things. I'm dead. <laughs> Give me three. I can remember three, maybe, if I'm lucky. If I have one priority in front of me, I'm good. So when it comes to outreach, if I can prioritize one person that I'm burdened for or connecting with or whatever. Historically, God has not left himself without a witness on this subject. This is something that made Christianity hyper alive for me and helped me have patience with the brokenness of our churches. Helped me understand something. That's the history of awakening when God's spirit has moved in profound ways and brought restoration to the church, this is his extra-biblical witness. That's your last fill-in. His extra-biblical witness. There's a verse in the book of Acts. This is after um, Acts 2, after the day of Pentecost and all that excitement. God was continuing to bring people into into the kingdom. Let me just read this to you out of Acts 3, verse 19. Peter is preaching to his people at that point. He says, repent, return, that your sins may be wiped out. But here's what can happen. In order that, and I like the way it is in the NASV here, that times, the word times there is the word for seasons. Does anybody appreciate the seasons, like the weird season we're having right now that I feel like I got teleported to Florida? What happened? Don't talk like that. That's just wrong. But anyway... You get what I'm saying? We look forward to the seasons. Seasons. Time after time after time after time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And it has through the history of the church. We just don't learn about it. We just don't read about it. There's people who have a vested interest in make sure you never hear about it. But he has not left himself without a witness. He once let the nations go their way. He is continuing to try to pull them back. Today, after being in Nairobi, Africa, you can see that their Christianity and their dominance in the African continent is probably where we were 
50 to 60 years back where Christianity was dominant and working and effectual and people were coming to faith. Billy Graham could not help but fill Madison Square Garden. That's where they're at. So there'll be a season, and then there'll be another season, God willing. I'm going to read a few things to you, if I may. And I may. (laughs) See, when was this? 678? When was this? Yeah, 1986. The Arthur B. DeMoss Foundation, believers, put out this book called The Rebirth of America. Now, here's where we get messed up. It's just like the prayer of Jabez. We think it's all about America. It's not all about America. But they were talking about what happened in America's history. Before we were a nation, for example, my hero Jonathan Edwards, preaching the good news in Northampton, Massachusetts, saw renewal from the Spirit. Here's his account. This is before we were a nation. Edwards came to Northampton at a low time when spirituality was at a low ebb. We think, oh, America was founded on Christian freedom. But friends, go back and read it. Find out. We had freedom, and you know what people do with total freedom. And that's what happened, even in the pre-U.S. colonies. Spirituality was at a low ebb. The conditions he described among the young people might sound much like conditions of today. Pastor Tim... You talk like this, don't you, on uh, Wednesday night? Licentiousness. Licentiousness. For some years, greatly prevailed among the young people. Sounds just like you. Yeah, I thought so. There were many of them very much addicted, get this, to night walking. You know what that means. Night that, that, that's, not, that's not talking about prostitution. That's talking about being misbehaving, going out there misbehaving. Frequenting the tavern and lewd practices wherein by some of their example exceedingly corrupted others. You need to quote that next Wednesday. Okay. The revival began in, 73, in 1734 while Jonathan Edwards was preaching a series of sermons on the justification by faith. Faith alone. Conversions began. First the young, then their elders. A notorious young woman was saved. It was like a flash of lightning to the young people. And there were those who agonized and those who rejoiced, wrote Edwards. In the spring and summer following Anno 1735, the town seemed to be full of the presence of God. It never was so full of love nor of joy and yet so full of distress as it was then. You know, when you really come to know Christ and deal with what's broken in your life, there's some distress that you have to feel somewhere along the line. I know I kind of messed up some things. By 1736, Edwards Church had 300 new converts and news of the revival had spread through New England. Can I say something? That doesn't sound like much, 300, except the entire town of Northampton was only 1,100 people. Think about that. God moves in. 300 people get converted out of 1,100. How many witnesses do you have? How many pray for ones do you have to do before you have the whole town? Right? During little more than two years, from 1740 to 1742, some 25,000 to 50,000 people were added to New England churches. 
get this, out of a total population of 300,000. They had a foothold from Jesus. Isn't that cool? He has not left himself without a witness. There's hundreds of stories like this. When was the last time you read one? Why missionary stories are so cool. God gives them a foothold in some foreign culture that can't even imagine a God of grace. And he breaks through and transforms the culture. Here's a great story. This happened in New York City in 1857, and I'll close with this. Spiritual conditions in the U.S. deteriorated in the middle of the 19th century. People were making money hand over fist, and when they did, they turned their backs on God. Oh, I don't, never mind. But a man of prayer, Jeremiah Lamphere, started a prayer meeting in the upper room of the consistory, yeah, some building, of the Dutch Reformed Church in Manhattan. He advertised, by the way, I know where all this happened. It's fun to walk through it. He advertised it. Only six people from a population of one million showed up. But the following week, there were 14, then 23. They decided to meet every day. Soon they filled the Dutch Reformed Church, the Methodist Church on John Street, and every public building in downtown New York. Famed newspaper editor Horace Greeley sent a reporter with horse and buggy riding around the prayer meetings to see how many men were praying. In one hour, he could only get to 12 meetings. And he counted 6,100 men praying. Then a landslide of prayer began. Now, listen to us. We would already say we had a landslide of prayer. But that's not what he's saying. J. Edwin Orr, who was a scholar on this subject, he's with the Lord now, great man, said, then a landslide of prayer began. People began to be converted, 10,000 a week in New York City. The movement spread throughout New England. Church bells would bring people to prayer at 8 in the morning, 12 noon, 6 in the evening. The revival went up the Hudson and down the Mohawk. Baptists had so many people to baptize, they couldn't get them into their churches. They went down to the river, cut a big hole in the ice, and baptized them in cold water. And Jan Winor commented, when Baptists do that, they're really on fire. <laughs> in one year, this breaks my heart, in one year, more than one million people were converted. The revival crossed the Atlantic, broke out in Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales, England, South Africa, South India. Anywhere there was an evangelical cause, there was a revival, and its effect was felt for 40 years. It began in a movement of prayer, and it was sustained by a movement of prayer. We want to marry, pray for one, prayer and outreach. God give us grace. He has not left himself without a clear witness. He's the living God and he can still do it. If it happened then, why can't we get just a little bit of it now? Let's stand together as we close. What you've done in history is almost too much for us to get our brain around. But, Lord, if you would give us just a little of that kind of awakening to see people moved upon by the Spirit so that they cannot argue with you anymore and they come into the kingdom and that we are faithfully 
witnessing to your grace and your goodness. You have not left yourself without conclusive evidence. Thank you for that. Help us to get a hold of it. In the great name of Jesus, we pray and we ask for your angelic protection for your people and your Holy Spirit's interaction in our souls in any place that your grace is jammed up. Help us, we pray. In the great name of Jesus, we pray and all God's people said, Amen and amen. God bless you and have a great day.